All right, our children can be dismissed to junior church. So we have to be aware that some uh, old children might join the group. All right. How many feel um, awesome today? You feel really, really, you feel really, really good. All right. How many feel like? <laughs> I was telling Mark Sexton this morning. You know, some days you walk out the door, and it's like a crisp, clear day, and and it's like maybe just a little bit of chill in the air, and you just go, "Oh man, it feels so good," and you just automatically feel good. You walk out on a day like today, and it's like, eh, it just feels muggy, feels, <laughs> and you just go like, you know, let's just go back to bed. <laughs> and um, so, please, along with me, uh, let's fake it this morning, all right? Uh, and um, uh, it, uh, we're in Luke chapter 22. I'd like you to join me there, please. Luke 22. And it's a very interesting, again, an interesting passage here. And again, to share with you the fact that there's some things that I, you know, see and noticed and observed that I've never seen before. And, and so, again, kind of excited to share those with you this morning. And it, it's kind of a way, what happens here is Jesus is about to do his last bit of teaching and instructing as far as the disciples are concerned. The, the public uh, speaking, the public venues are, are done. And he wants to give them some last words of instruction. And to me, it's just interesting how before he does that, uh, he gets Judas out of the room. <laughs> he eliminates Judas. He eliminates the devil. He eliminates what would be distractions from what he's trying to get them to see. And, and I, I never really quite saw it as, as important as, as uh, I believe it is now, that um, the teaching and instruction that Jesus gave these disciples in this final time in this upper room was immensely important to the place where Jesus did everything in his power, which is a lot, <laughs> to preserve the integrity of this time with his disciples. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as, uh, as, we, as we get there. But background-wise, we're in the last week of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. The lines have been drawn. The, the leadership is settled in their unbelief. They're, they have no interest <clears throat> in uh, following Jesus. Obviously, there are some amongst the leadership, but they remain quiet. They've, uh, they don't want to lose their position. They don't want to lose their status. But the Pharisees are now very, very vocal about the fact that well, we need to look into what he's doing. We need to uh, stop him. We need to question him. We need to trick him. We need to stone him. We need to kill him is the progression that they've come to. And Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time as far as this earthly ministry is concerned. And prior to it, he stops and he weeps over the city. And even though he's about to have this parade of Hosanna and all these wonderful things and the Palm Sunday and the branches put down and the clothing put down and honoring him as a king, he still stops and weeps because he knows it's just all on the outside, not on the heart. He then goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple for a second time and then pretty much closes the temple as far as worship is concerned. 
because of the fraud and hypocrisy and the fake. He again speaks with the Pharisees directly and, and, and pointedly to the Pharisees. Uh, he's given them multiple invitations to the kingdom, and they, they think they don't need an invitation. They think they're already set. They think their ticket's already punched. We're, we're Jews, and we're children of Abraham, and we are devout children of Abraham. We are obedient children of Abraham. We are following all the laws and the rules. Not only am I in, I'm in a high upper room chief seat spot, and uh, Almost sound like cheap seat spot. That's where I get uh, all the time. But Jesus tells him, no, you're not, even, you're not even coming in. You've been invited, but you're not coming in. Eight woes are pronounced on the Pharisees. Seven times Jesus calls them hypocrites in Matthew 23. He says they are fools, blind, and serpents. Then he tells his disciples, I'm leaving, and I need you to occupy till I come. And the question comes back, uh, well, when are you coming back? And Jesus says, well, it'll be a while. But when I do, it'll be preceded by great tribulation, great trouble for the nation of Israel, a time of Jacob's trouble. All the Jews will be hated. They'll turn one on another. Uh, They'll be following false prophets. Sin will be out of control. There'll be a strong effort to eliminate the Jewish believers and all believers. He says, when you see these things happening, he says, when you see the temple defiled, run and hide. Don't come out of hiding till I show up. And he says, you'll know when I show up. Don't be fooled. Believers will see the signs and know approximately when the Lord's going to return. Unbelievers will be caught totally by surprise. He tells me, he said, I need you to watch. I need you to be faithful. I need you to be ready. I need you to be wise. Use the light. Use the truth that you have. And again, the contrast through all of this is others have been given light and truth. Uh, the prophets gave light and truth to the, uh, to the uh, Jewish leadership. Uh, in the days of the kings, and so and they did not listen. Uh, light and truth is given to the Pharisees, and they did not listen. And then here, more locally, light and truth is given to Judas, and he did not respond. There's going to be a judgment of nations after this tribulation period based on their treatment of Israel during the tribulation. He said, I'm going to divide them into sheep nations, which are going to enter into my kingdom, goat nations, which will enter into everlasting fire. Well, there's a plan to kill Jesus, and, and um, it's a secret plan, so let's not uh, let Jesus know what they're up to. Um, you know, that, I mean, it's, isn't that like the peak of unbelief, the fact that they believe that they can have a secret plan to get Jesus? Uh, if he is the Messiah, if he is God, what's the chance of, you know, this is no secret plans. But we're not going to do it on the feast day because there are just too many people. Well, while they're planning to kill Jesus... Another woman, Mary, is planning to honor Jesus. And in Bethany, outside of the city of Jerusalem, Mary takes an alabaster box and breaks it and has perfume that is valued at 300 days' wages. And she pours it on his head and it drips all the way from his head down to his feet. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. Judas speaks for the first time. Now, again, as I looked at this again, it's hard for me to believe this is the first time Judas ever said anything. It's been three and a half years, and I'm sure Judas said something. It's interesting that nothing worth recording uh, by by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, nothing worth recording to this point. Uh, This is the first recorded words of Judas as he stirs up the disciples with righteous indignation. What a waste! This is a waste. This this could have been sold and given to the poor, and, and, and we could have done lots with this. 
John adds uh, a note. Well, he said this because he was a thief, not because he cared for the poor. And Jesus speaks to Judas' let her alone. She's done a good work. She's done a beautiful thing. What she's done is going to be remembered forever. Mary knows what's going on. Now, some have suggested this final rebuke of Judas. Maybe Judas had other rebukes as well. Maybe he said other things as well. I don't, I, we do not know. We don't have anything recorded. But this final rebuke where Jesus pretty much says, Judas, leave her alone. Kind of sealed in Judas' mind, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm finished. Mary understood what was happening. Maybe Judas did too. But Judas, from a different perspective, Mary, from a believing perspective, sees that her, her Lord, her Messiah, her Savior, is about to be crucified, is about to leave. Judas sees the fact that, you know, being treasurer of the king of the world is not a bad position. But if he really is going to be crucified, if he really is going to die, if he really is not going to have his kingdom right now, what's the point? And he's going to cut his losses, and he basically allows Satan to indwell him. And the amazing thing, again, for me is for three and a half years, he fooled everyone except Jesus. The question is, how did Mary respond to the truth and the light she received? Was she loved God with all of her heart? How did Judas respond? (laughs) It never sunk in. They promised him money. Luke 22, verse number 6, they promised him money. If you look... Luke 22, verse number 6, he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Uh, in verse number 5, they covenanted to give him money, and then he promised, I will, when the opportunity arises, we will betray him. Starting in verse number 7 this morning, um, the preparation of the Passover. Uh, this is actually the Passover meal, what we would call the Last Supper. And... Um, or would be referred to as the Lord's Supper. Verse number 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, meaning Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, well, Where wilt thou that we prepare? Uh, can you give us a hint? Can you point us in the right direction? Uh, Jesus gives them a responsibility. He says, Well, exactly what are you looking for? Where, where were thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, Master, my master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. Um, it's the time of the unleavened bread. It's another word for the Feast of the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, they were to clean their houses of all, uh, anything that would be sinful. Any uh, yeast and things of that nature represented sin as it would grow and so forth. Um, for the Passover, they were to have unleavened bread. This is bread that just doesn't rise. <coughs> um, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. Where I grew up, I was surrounded by, most of my friends were Catholics or Jews, and um, the, the Jewish kids would bring the, the matzah bread to, uh, to school, and this is, like, this is like saltine crackers on steroids, okay? Um, it, it's like somebody took a little pump and inflated the little bumps on the saltine crackers, and that's, 
That's the, and, and we, we, we Gentile stupid people, <laughs> these are the coolest things ever. Uh, it was the only thing they were allowed to eat on certain feast days, so they would bring it as part, part of their lunch. And being good uh, Jewish children, um, they sold it to us Gentiles. <laughs> and because uh, um, we had never seen anything like this before, so we were buying these, these dry, uh, you know, steroid-filled saltine crackers, um, and it was amazing. Um, but uh, it's time for the lamb to be slain, and, and the Passover feast, again, is, is a commemoration of plague number 10. The Jewish people are trapped in bondage by the Egyptians. 200, 400 years they're trapped in bondage with the Egyptians. It's time to be released. It's time to go. Nine different plagues have taken place, and finally Pharaoh has hardened his heart to the point where he's not going to let them go, and he even says to Moses, Moses, next time I see you, you're going to die. And I said, I'm not going to call for you anymore, and if you come in here on your own, you will die. And Moses, I'm sorry you've said that, because what's going to happen is the firstborn of all of Egypt is going to die. And Moses leaves, and the Passover is, is initiated. They put the blood on the doorposts of the house. They're supposed to cook the lamb. Uh, they're supposed to eat every part of it. Uh, there's other things in regards to bitter herbs that they're supposed to do. And then they wait, and then what would happen that night is the death angel came, and if he saw the blood on the posts, he would pass over that house. And so the idea of the, the Passover, and it says that the, uh, in all the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were, uh, no one was harmed, no one died. Again, just even think about that, the, the whole process to me again, um, uh, this, is, this is not one of those events. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'd like to go back in history and experience. This is not one of the nights that I would like to experience. I am a firstborn, Okay. Um, and I am a firstborn male, and I identify as such. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. I can't help that. Um, it's not in the script anywhere at all. Um, but anyways, firstborn male, the idea is like, Dad, did you do this right? You know, this is going to be a big deal. The death angel is passing over. I'm the target. <laughs> and, you know, this might be a sleepless night for me, okay? Did we do it right? What's going on? And, and and uh, all those things that go along with it. But the end result is they're free from Egypt. They, Pharaoh says, I've had enough. This is it. Just go. Take. And they plunder Egypt pretty much. They, people give them all kinds of things to just go, just go, just leave us, just go. Just. And Passover illustrates the deliverance from Egypt. And here this is one of the three main feasts that they would celebrate. And they're getting ready to celebrate this Passover meal to commemorate the, the meal that they had right before the death angel would come. And he tells Peter and John, he says, I want you to go and find a place for us to eat the Passover, find a place. Now, I think, and Peter and John said, well, do you have some place in mind? Where, where do we start looking? He says, we go into the city, and um, behold, you'll find there a man will meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Uh, some other translations have uh, water on his back. Follow him to the house where he enters in, and then ask the good man, ask the head of the house uh, where the guest chamber is, and if the master can use this and so forth. Um, I believe this takes place in this particular manner. Just Peter and John are asked to go find this place. I, I think it's intended to be a secret. I think this is cloak and dagger stuff. I think if you read the passage that comes before it, the six verses that come before it, Judas is looking for a time and an opportunity where Jesus will be alone, 
We're in the absence of the crowd. When we, can we come? Uh, do the Romans respect the Passover stuff? No, no, no. Okay. And, and so this is a time where Jesus is going to be alone with his disciples. I think Jesus doesn't want Judas to know where it is. I think he's keeping this place a secret from Judas. And um, so this is a little bit of cloak and dagger stuff. And you see it here from the standpoint, when you see a man carrying a pitcher of water, one translation I read said that this would be unusual because this is woman's work and a guy wouldn't be doing this. Uh, however, it was Jewish custom for the head of the household on Passover, Jewish head of the household on Passover, for him to go get water uh, early in the day before the stars came out in order to use that water to make the unleavened bread, to knead the bread and make the unleavened bread. Uh, it's, it's more to me like, all right, you go to the restaurant, there'll be a guy there with a white carnation, okay? It's, it's more that kind of thing, okay? And, uh, you know, when he flips his hat twice, then you know that's, you know. And, and it's that type of thing, almost a cloak and dagger thing where, uh, and none of the disciples are going to know the location of this place until they actually go, when Jesus actually takes them there later in the evening. And so Peter and John are told to go make the preparations, and the guy is going to recognize, whoever the guy is, and it's possible that it's the same guy, the guy with the pitcher of water could also be verse number 11, the good man of the house. And um, where is your guest chamber? And he says, the master saith unto thee. Immediately the implication is, as soon as Peter and John say, the master saith, it's going to be somebody you know. His name is not given, interestingly enough, but Peter and John, you're going to know who this man is. He'll meet you. You'll know who he is, and he'll know who I am. And tell him that I want to meet with the disciples in regards to the Passover. Again, Jesus is at this particular point a wanted man as far as the uh, Jewish people are concerned, as far as the uh, scribes and the, uh, and the Sanhedrin is concerned, the Pharisees and the chief priests. If I am aiding and abetting and I'm opening my house to Jesus and his disciples, how does that bear with the Pharisees in regards to my treatment as far as my business is concerned? This is why we talked about before. This is why a lot of people believe that they were not baptized because they didn't want to be identified with Jesus. They wanted to remain secret believers. And if, you are, you know, if, if you're housing them, you know, you're housing these you know, you know, fugitives or whatever, or these, uh, these lawbreakers and these blasphemers, uh, it would be some kind of risk to you as well. But I, there's some secrecy involved here. But it says that they found everything as described. Verse number 11, uh, 13 says, And they went and found as Jesus had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26 says that they said to the good man of the house, My master said, His time is at hand. And then it says, in the evening, he came with the twelve. Um, and uh, this is in Mark chapter 14. By the way, parallel passages here in Matthew 26, Mark 14 uh, are parallel passages to this well, as well. Make ready. The lamb was purchased. The lamb was slain. The lamb was roasted. Wine, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, all this part of getting ready. <clears throat> Verse number 14. And when the hour was come... and I said the other passages say it was evening or after dark. He sat down and the 12 disciples sat down with him. And then he said, um, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you <clears throat> before I suffer. 
<coughs> with desire I have desired. It's kind of an interesting phrase, an interesting wording. Of course, this is a King James or the English translation of it. But the words in the Greek have a very, very intense meaning. I have, it's basically, I have greatly desired, I have longed. It's like, I, I, I can't wait for this moment. This is a very, very important time to me. This is something that, uh, you know, this is something that I've been looking forward to, greatly desired, longed for. Uh, it's similar in, in intensity uh, to in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 17, uh, where, where God is talking to uh, Adam and Eve, and he says, if you take the fruit of you, you will surely die. Again, it's the same intense thing. It literally means dying thou shalt die, okay? Um, dying thou shalt die. <laughs> Uh, you will begin the dying process, and you will truly die. And that's Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Same thing, I have desired with great desire. And so this is something very, very important. And again, it, it, it kind of, again, intensifies the teaching that we're going to see in, in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. 13 through 17 in the book of John. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all the things that Jesus taught them or in many of the things that Jesus taught them, in this upper room at this last moment, at this last supper, at this last Passover. Uh, review, yep. New stuff, eh, not much. Uh, encouragement, yes. Lessons still to be learned. Lessons, you know, and, and future predictions. There's all kinds of stuff that's here as Jesus makes his disciples ready for you. Realize in less than two days, I'm going to be crucified. And you guys are going to have to handle all this stuff. And so Jesus says, I've looked and I've longed for this time. And um, it says, uh, for I say unto you, I will not any more therefore eat therefore until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to be able to eat with you until after the resurrection. Until after the res resurrection time. Now, in verse number 17, Luke twenty-two seventeen, 17, it begins to tell us the story of the, what would be the Last Supper, or what we call communion, the breaking of the bread and the, and the, and the taking of the cup. I want us to skip 17 to, um, to 20 right now uh, and look at 21, okay? Uh, because I do think these things are out of order in Luke. The other passages, both Mark and Matthew, both have, uh, and, and even here it says in verse number 20, likewise also the cup after supper, okay? And so I want us to find out what happened during the supper. And uh, what happens during the supper is verse number 21, but behold, Jesus says, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on this table. This is the first time Jesus announces to them that one of them will be the betrayer. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto the man to whom he is betrayed, or by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of, uh, of them it was that should do this thing. The next, the next, the next things that I'm going to share about, there's just so many that are just kind of wows and wonders and speak of human nature and, and the craziness that makes us who we are. But Jesus says, the betrayer is right here in this room. He gathered and said, I've looked forward to this for a long time. 
I've desired this meeting with you. This is very, very important, what I'm about to do and what I'm about to share with you tonight. And he said, but before we begin, I want you to know that one of you is going to betray me. The betrayer is right here in this room. <laughs> this, is the, um, this is the mystery movies. These are the ones that, uh, this is the Perry Mason one where, all right, one of you six people around the table is a murderer. Is it I? Is, am I? You know, it's like, and one knows the answer. The other ones are like still, are still clueless. I know I'm innocent, but could be one of the others. One of you is the betrayer. The betrayer is right here. Now, verse number 22, I think this is the most important verse in the entire passage. Because Jesus says this, and truly, he says, I, I want you to know, truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. He said, what's about to happen has already been determined. He's almost suggesting the betrayer is unnecessary. One of you is going to betray me, but it doesn't make any difference. Uh, this was still the plan. This is not going to, I'm, I'm not taken by surprise. Oh, their plot is to surprise Jesus. Oh, we have somebody on the inside <laughs> now. <laughs> I know who it is. I know what's going to happen. And he says, I, this has been a plan from the beginning. This is God's plan of salvation from before the foundation of the world. This is God's plan for me to come to earth, for me to die. He was born to die. And again, emphasizing the fact to you, this is not, this is not a, a work of man where man plots against God and, and, and crucifies Jesus. Or, or, or Satan is smart and, and, and he gets the upper hand. Or, or you know... The Sanhedrin, you know, really, really did their work, and Jesus said, this was planned to happen. From the very beginning, it was determined of God that this was going to happen. This is why I came. And we've seen passages before where Jesus talks about this. He, he struggles a little bit with it, and he says, but he said, I can't, this cup was given to me. I can't give it to anybody else. This is why I came. This is what, I, that, this is what I'm responsible for. This is what I'm supposed to do. But notice what it says here. <clears throat> the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. I, I'm, I am going to be crucified, even though I know it's Judas. <laughs> even though I know what they're up to. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to sneak out tonight and we're going to go back up to Caesarea. Or we're going to sneak out tonight and we're going to go down to Egypt. No. He said, I know what the plans are and I know everything about it, but it's determined that this is the way it's going to go. But, he says... But woe unto the man by whom he is betrayed. Even though Jesus said, this is God's plan from the very beginning, that I am going to be crucified, that I'm going to be delivered to the Romans to be crucified by the Sanhedrin, this is going to happen. My death has been uh, planned from the beginning to, for the salvation of men's souls. But woe to Judas. He doesn't get a pass. He doesn't get a well, you know, he has, poor Judas had no other choice. <coughs> I believe Judas had a choice. I believe Judas chose to betray the Lord. And so what happens here, he says, even though this was God's plan, woe to Judas. I don't think, again, in, in, in all the story, I don't think Pilate, in order for all the prophecies to be fulfilled, uh, Pilate could have said, no, I don't want you to crucify him. And they still could have crucified Jesus and, and filled every prophecy and left Pilate out of it. But Pilate made a choice to say, well, okay, do what you do. I'm not, you know, I'm... 
Pilate is guilty because of his part in it. Judas is guilty. Woe unto him. Woe unto him. Even though this is part of God's plan. Woe unto the man by whom he is betrayed. This is not a good thing. And then it says, they began to inquire amongst themselves which of them it should be that would do this thing. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. We'll go back to Matthew 26. This is the parallel passage, one of the parallel passages. Matthew 26, verse number 20. A little more explanation given in this passage. <clears throat> Matthew was there. Luke, by the way, writes as a historian, getting, gathering information and putting those things together. Luke, uh, Matthew would have actually been present on site uh, Matthew 26, verse number 20. And when evening was come, Jesus sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And they, the disciples, were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say to him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Now again, that's not much self-confidence. Now, Judas has already done. It says Satan has already entered into Judas and he's already bargained with the, uh, with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the chief priests and so forth. These people are, some of these disciples think, is it possible that I still might do something like this? Not much self-confidence. Lord, is it I? And it says every one of them. Uh, later we're going to have Peter go, I would never deny you. I'm not even going to let you die. And Peter makes these big bold statements about his faithfulness and so forth. But at this particular point, Matthew says every one. Of them said, Lord, is it I? And he said unto them, It is he who dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And here's that passage again, it's almost the same passage we saw in Luke. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. This is part of the plan, this is what the prophecy said about me. But woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had never been born. And then Judas said, verse number 25, which betrayed him, said, Master, is it I? And Jesus said, yeah. It is as you have said. He said, thou hast said, it is. It is kind of interesting. <laughs> as they talk to one another, Lord, is it I? Um... Let's see. I think I got derailed here somewhere. Okay, I'm fine. Um, it'd have been good for that man if he had never been born. And then Judah says, Master, is it I? I don't know if he's doing this to keep up the hypocrisy, to keep up the charade. Uh, and Jesus said, it is as you have said. Look at John chapter 13 now. John chapter 13. Verse number 18. <clears throat> Some more information about that particular exchange. John 13, 18. Again, John, of course, is the one who writes all this stuff about 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all these chapters about what takes place. Verse number 18, Jesus says, I speak not of you all. I'm not, I'm not really speaking to all of you because I know whom I have chosen. I know the hearts of those that I have chosen. But that the scripture might be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And again, this is his way. One of you, he says, now I tell you before it come to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and whosoever receiveth me receives him that sent me. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. In verse number 18, he mentions a prophecy that should be fulfilled. The prophecy is from Psalm 41, verse number 9. Psalm 41, verse number 9, this is David writing about his own betrayal, how he was betrayed by a familiar friend. David writes and he says, Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. This is the reference that Jesus makes now, the difference between this and Jesus is David was fooled. He thought this man truly was his friend, and his friend turned on him. But here in this case, <coughs> Jesus knows, <coughs> knows the identity of Judas from, from the start. And then we see Judas carrying this off even further um, later when Judas meets with Jesus in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. As soon as he was come, that's Judas, he went straightway to Jesus and said, Master, Master, and kissed him. Seriously. Matthew passage. And while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. <clears throat> and he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came and to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, why are you here? Wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Jesus knew the answer to all the questions. Jesus knew who was coming. My own familiar friend. And he said, This is, Jesus says, In, in order to fulfill scripture, this one of you is lifting up his heel against me. He said, I'm going to tell you this stuff before it comes to pass, so when it does, you'll look back. And John, of course, writing this after the fact, looks back and said, oh, hey, he knew. This is further proof that I am the Son of Man, further proof that I am the Messiah, the Christ. I knew this before it would even take place. And then he goes on in verse number 20, he says something very interesting. He says, if they receive you, then they're receiving me. And if they receive me, then they're receiving the Father. This is one extra step, kind of interesting. Jesus told the Pharisees straight out, you're of your father, the devil. And like, no, 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 we're, Abraham's our father. We're Jews. And he goes, no, if Abraham was here, Abraham would believe. He said, I'm sent from God. If you do not recognize me as being sent from God, you do not know me, you do not know my father. That's the two steps. You don't know me, you don't know my father. Jesus takes it one step further here. He says, I'm sending you out, disciples. And he said, those who receive you, those who believe you, and the message that you bring, they're receiving me. If they receive you, they're receiving me. And if they receive me, then they're receiving my Father. And so he, he adds one link to the chain, if you please, and they are this additional link. But it says here, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Verse 21, and testified and said, Verily I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. I, I would like to know, 
in three and a half years, how many times Jesus was troubled in his spirit? Everything we read, everything we see is everybody around Jesus is going crazy. They're running, oh, master, master, come to my house. My, my daughter is sick, and, uh, and, and this is a problem here, and problem there. And, oh, there's a storm. We're all going to die. And, and Jesus is like, <laughs> calm through the whole thing. How many times do we see that Jesus' spirit is troubled within him? Oh, he's troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that and we know that. And they sweat as it were great drops of blood. But here he's troubled again. He's troubled because of this. And he goes like, I, it, it's something I, I, I even hate to speak of. And it says, the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Bear with me on this one just a little bit. Lord, is it I? We're sitting around a table. Peter says earlier, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, are you guys going to leave me? Where would we go? You have the words of life. My name's Peter. One of you is going to betray me. Um, Lord, it's... It's not me, is it? That's how I would rephrase the question. It's not me, is it? No, no, it's not you. What's the next step? All right. Which one of these other little rascals is it? I mean, isn't that the next step? It's, okay, it's not me. All right. Yeah, that James character over there, I was suspicious of him. We begin to look at others. We begin to question their loyalty. We begin to question their motives. We, we begin to question their loyalty to the Lord. And it says they looked on one another. <laughs> With suspicious minds, they looked on one another. It's like, well, I, wonder if it, I wonder if it's him. What do you think? John, it's not you and I. What about... That's the kind of stuff that's going on. Never happens in Christian circles at all. I... I don't know what these disciples were thinking. Never once do we look at somebody else and assume that we're greater servants and we're better servants than God. You know what happens next? After, after Judas leaves, they're fighting with each other over who is the greatest. They, it starts out, which one of us is the rottenest? Okay, well, I'm not the rottenest. And then it switches all the way around to, you know, I, <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't the bad guy. I, I'd never let anything happen to Jesus. And I'm greater than you. My service is greater than you. And we begin to judge and we begin to be critical of other servants, other disciples. They looked at one another, doubting the character. Lord, is it I? Well, if it's not I, then it must be. And they went from who is the rottenest? Well, Judas is the right. Well, who's the greatest? And Jesus is going to have to pull, reel him in. <laughs> this is not what this is about. Look at this. And it, I, I, I don't know. This just makes me smile. I, I, this, this, this makes me think junior high um, in this next few verses. And, and, and you'll, you'll, I, I hope you see the humor in this. The disciples were looking on one another, doubting of whom he spake. All right, now who, you know. All right, well, it's, okay, it's not me, it's not you. Uh, Lord, 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 it's me. Okay, now that rules out Matthew. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, 
one of his disciples whom he loved. I, what's the title at the top of your page? What book, what, what book of the New Testament are we in? John. Who's John talking about? Himself. <clears throat> the disciple whom Jesus loved. I, I'm sure in his mind it's no brag, just fact. But the fact of the matter is, which one of these disciples did Jesus not love? I, I, I didn't mean it that way, John says. I just, he just loves me more. We have this picture here. I, I don't know. Of course, all these disciples and Jesus going around with these, you know, halos behind him and all this kind of stuff. I don't, you know. But, but um, how odd and how strange is this behavior there, uh, leaning on Jesus and presently close to him. Uh, the next one, this is, uh, this is Leonardo da Vinci um, and uh, his uh, Lord's Supper. I, I, I don't know, last time you had people at your house and have everybody on the same side of the table so you could get the picture. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is probably wrong in so many different ways. Um, they were probably reclining. They were probably all in a close, more of a close bunch than, than that. But um, John obviously is very, very close. You know, they're fighting for seats. They're fighting for location. We'll see that in another passage. John makes his way very close to Jesus. He's leaning on Jesus' bosom as one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And here's Simon Peter. Here's our two guys. They, both these guys are responsible for finding a place in the first place. Simon Peter therefore beckoned unto him that he should ask who should be of whom he spake. <laughs> All right. Just imagine, Jesus and John are on the bench, okay? I'm Peter over here. Psst, hey, John. Ask him. <laughs> and Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to pretend that I don't see you, Peter. <laughs> right? Or, or better yet, he develops some skills that he learned from Don Green. Well, no. <laughs> Ask how it is. What was that, Peter? <laughs> Who is it? Peter can't stand it. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And it's like, Peter probably has already heard the words, it's not you, Peter. He goes, okay, cool. <laughs> Who is it? He's got to know. He's got to know. And, and he's, hey, John, find out. John, by the way, there's an interesting relationship between Peter and John, and that might be a whole message altogether. Uh, when they're in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter goes, the people are like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And, um, and it's like, you know, John is the one, Peter asked John, just, you know, and John said, you know, you know, calls out and, and finds out it's the Lord, and then Peter goes, oh, it's the Lord. Then I can just kind of walk out there to him. Okay. And then, of course, they do have the race, the infamous race, where they get the word that the tomb is empty. John and Peter run to the tomb, and little, the little note in the verse that says the other disciple outran Peter. Uh, and they, they get to the tomb first, and... Uh, uh, and, and John says, hey, I beat you. 
And Peter says, well, who's going to know? Oh, uh, maybe everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, the relationship is, is, is somewhat interesting. But at this particular point, ask who it is. And Jesus said, all right, it is he to whom I give the sop. And when I have dipped it, and when he dipped in the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. This is like whoever I give this to. Boom. Judas is clearly identified as the one. Now, John writes this again. Remember, John's writing after the fact. He says, no man at the table still did not understand what intent he spoke this unto him. But verse number 27 says, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Satan has already entered into him once with this, um, with the betrayal. Uh, we've already looked at that. Satan entered into him again. And Jesus said to him, whatever you do, do quickly. How about this one? Satan is present at the Passover supper with the disciples and Jesus. He's right there. Whatever you do, do quickly. John says, we disciples didn't understand what was going on. We, we did not know for what intent. Some thought, well, maybe... Because he has the bag, uh, he's going to go buy something. Uh, is it not, uh, of course, it's the Sabbath day for the Jews, not the Romans, but is not this uh, still a Sabbath? Uh, buy those things that we need against the feast, or maybe you know, give something to the poor. Did not know why Judas was dismissed or why Judas left. Jesus just said, this is the most important time, and I've been looking forward to talking with you guys. This is the most important, and he's telling Judas to go. Then having received the sop, Judas went out immediately. And it was night. It is prior to the breaking of the bread and drinking of the cup. It is prior to all the information. It is prior to Jesus' prayer in, in John chapter 17 where he talks about, uh, I have all that you've given to me. They're still mine. And he's, as he prays for and blesses his disciples. I don't want Judas here. I don't want Satan present. And he dismisses him and says, just leave. Just go. Identifies Judas clearly as the betrayer. I wonder when Judas realized he was Judas. And I think you know what I mean by that. But I wonder when Judas realized, not just that he was the betrayer. He knew that as, as soon as he coveted with the, with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. But I wonder how long Judas knew and maybe he had fooled himself into thinking, I, I'm, I'm just as good as anybody else here. I'm, I'm all right. I'm a follower of Jesus just like everybody else. And, and he's following Jesus without his heart. All the rest had given their hearts to Christ. And you see again, Mary had given her heart to Jesus. Peter had given his heart to Jesus. Judas was just there. When did Judas realize that these people have a different relationship? than what I have. He was in attendance. But when did he realize that he's not one of the twelve? He's not one who is a believer, that he is the betrayer. Judas continues the charade as long as he possibly can. Is it I? I, I you know, I, is it me? 
<laughs> and even then when Jesus says, yes, it's just, it is you. And here, the one to whom I give the son. Jesus has so much to teach, so much to refine. He intensely wants and covets this time. And he kept the place secret so Judas and Satan were not going to disrupt this moment. But the disciples find themselves questioning their own loyalty to God and questioning the loyalty of each other. And then finally, they'll consider their love and their service the greatest. And even though salvation and Jesus' death was God's plan from the beginning, Judas is still responsible for his part in it. Better for him to have never been born. Woe unto him. And Judas and the devil are gone before Jesus' intimate communion with the disciples. We certainly have much more to talk about in regards to this upper room and so forth. Again, when did Judas know (laughs) he was Judas? Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you that even all, all these different things took place. It was according to your plan. From the foundation of the world, there was a plan for the salvation of mankind. Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, born to die, that man might live. Again, Father, I marvel at the light and the truth that Judas was exposed to without ever any of it getting to his heart. The light and the truth the Pharisees were able to see firsthand, and none of it made it to their heart. And they continued to carry on a charade of religiosity and, 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 and following goodness and right and being followers of God. Lord, I pray with all my heart that there's not anyone in this room that's just pretending. We attend the services. We're here all the time. As far as everybody else is concerned, we're one of the group. But Father, I pray that it has reached their heart and not just going through the motions. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.